Are we recording? All right. It's like traditional for any new podcast is you have to ask, are we recording? Right, so you exactly. know this is a legitimate official podcast. Oh yeah, you're getting into something. You're getting on the groundwork of something good here. So, uh, Welcome to, I guess we've officially called this pull up a chair. Semi-officially. Sure. We'll, okay. we'll, something we'll, like yeah. that. We'll work on it. We'll work on the title, but for now we're calling it pull up a chair. So um, just to do a quick introduction. All right. My name is David Leffler. I'm Adam Rice. And I'm Jerry Andrew. Um, give a quick synopsis of what we're doing here. We tip, we've been watching movies like once a week, and we realized we've been having these really long conversations right after them, sometimes before, uh, about the movie and about a lot of other ideas. And we're just like, you know, we need to start recording this because we talk about some really good stuff. So, uh, so welcome. This is, this is our, our new podcast. Also, precursor to all this as well, just like our, our views and everything that you'll you'll hear, uh, but just to introduce you to it. All three of us are definitely Christians, very Protestant Christians, believe that uh, God created the world uh, and mankind. He uh, he came to earth as Jesus Christ, died, and uh, was crucified and rose again on the third day. So you can precursor that. That is our all of our beliefs, and we've, we've talked about it. We're pretty much all fairly on the conservative side of political, because we'll occasionally, you know, bump into that topic. Well, I, I am a communist. I will Yes, yes. David is a hard, uh, very hardcore communist. So Yes, and at a fascist, too. Yes. This mix as well. No, I'm from Texas, so it's not, it's probably, like, as far from communism as you can get. <laughs> anyway, so, um, as of tonight, what we had just watched, It's a Wonderful Life. Very classic movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it, then come back because we're going to talk about some good stuff. So, so, yeah. So, what we'll do is we'll do a quick review on the movie and then we'll start spawning off into other things. Yeah, in we, the film. we like to talk about ideas and, and we'll talk about even technical aspects of the movie or, or lore about a movie and its storyline and the like directors and lore. actors sometimes too. I like that lore. lore. Like, it's like Lord of the Rings. Like, what's the <laughs> lore of? Of It's a Wonderful Life and all right. the cosplay that spawns from that. <laughs> anyway. So okay. you cosplay as, as George Bailey on a regular basis, do you, David? Yeah, I, I, talk, I talk like George and George Bailey. That's, that's more like Sean Connery, actually. <laughs> a little close, actually. I'm working on it still. But oh. anyway, so let's... David is the only non-musician here. I should also mention that. Yes, I will definitely own up to... I am less musically inclined than Adam and Jerry by far, but I don't, that does not mean I do not dislike music by any stretch of the imagination. He's so. not note. Well, but also to be fair, uh, the other t- Adam, Adam and I are piano players, so David is still the only cool one in this group. So right. piano players just aren't cool. We're just we're classy. We're not cool. So. We're classy nerds. Exactly. Thank you. See, I can I can run with them on the nerds. It's just the music nerd stuff. That just <laughs> I just I just go for the ride and just buckle in. I'm like, okay, that sounds nice. But anyway, back to the point. Yeah, um, go, so, go for it. Um, our thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life. Definitely, it is a classic. Um, it's been around for ages, and it's spawned many, many painful, I would say, um, copies. But it's just a very well-done film because characters, first of all, story-wise, are just very believable. Each character has their own arc, and especially when, uh, spoiler, if you've never seen the film, um, George... Basically, he holds the town together, and he realizes he owes a lot of money. He thinks, you know, my life would be so much better had I not been born. I didn't owe all this money. And he's getting the opportunity to see, what would your life look like had you not been born? And he realizes the impact that he had uh, on the world around him. And it's interesting, is you get to see everyone's character arc before, and then you also see everyone's character arc had he not been there. So the characters are very well defined and very relatable and realistic. And so... um, from a story standpoint, there's just a lot of great themes to explore. And yeah. that's one yeah. thought from, from me. What do you guys... Well, and uh, one thing, I was mentioning this during the movie, but um, I, I, it's been so long since I've read Tom Sawyer, and they mentioned it several times in the, in the movie. And uh, I was looking on Reddit while we were watching it because I was like, I, it's just been so long, I couldn't remember the storyline. But remember, Tom Sawyer watches his own funeral. According to Reddit, at least somebody on Reddit was talking about it. It's like that that appears to be one of the main reasons why it was thrown in there. Is a is very very large foreshadowing there. He's going to be watching, in a way, his own non-existence, his loss of existence. Although this was more like re resetting the storyline and him being taken out of it, as opposed to watching his own funeral. But similar similar ideas. So, 
Um, Jerry, well, you all, Jerry, you also made a great observation with the raven. There's like this raven yeah. constantly throughout the film. I had never noticed this giant black bird floating and around. And every time, the, the raven is only in the bank, which, of course, in the raven from Edgar Allan Poe, like you were saying, it's about, like, it's it's showing, like, the, the raven represents, like, the destiny, like his inability to escape destiny. It's, it's a sense of finality, though, because in the, if the poem, it's the bird's name is Evermore, and how this is the way things are, and it's going to be like this, it's going to continue in this direction. So yeah. it seemed like it was... Right, and the fact that it was only in the bank foreshadows the entire storyline that, listen, this is a guy, he had he had left college, he was a big dreamer, he wanted to travel the world, and yet he meets this girl, falls in love, and it shows like he is, I hate to say the word doomed, it almost feels like he's doomed because the storyline is, is fairly melancholy until the end, but, um, or it becomes, the, the significant part of, it, of the story is melancholy, but it's... Um, uh, it just shows like the bank is what he's doomed to work with the rest he's, of his he's life. He's locked into it. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's he's fated. He's the so, destiny so is the to run the bank. So the moral of the story, and we can wrap up, is don't fall in love, and you can pursue <laughs> your dreams. All right, good night, everybody. No, no, no. Well, I will actually say good, make a good point on that. Actually, though, it is interesting how we do have ambitions in life, and yet yeah. we find somebody, and it turns all those plans upside down. Yep. Mm -hmm. And on this side of that, we're all all single bachelors, so. On this side of it, it's kind of like, well, I've got plans. I've got this and that to do. But it's funny how, um, like my sister, for example, um, she had dated a, a guy in the military. Not saying anything wrong with the military. She dated a guy in the Army, just wasn't quite all there. But now she is happily married to uh, um, uh, another guy in the Army. He's a major and just a godly, great leader. But in her mind, she would have never been an army wife and now now here she's doing that uh, she met someone that changed her whole plan so it's interesting how and that's one of the big themes in the film was how relationships what was the, what was the quote it said like he who has he who has friends is never poor or something along the lines i believe so yeah just something along i mean that's a, a very, i mean that's the thing throughout the whole thing i think at the very end where he's like uh a toast or his brother comes home uh harry bailey comes back home from the military and he raises a toast he's like hey uh, here's a toast to my big brother, the richest man in, oh, what's the name Bedford of the town? Falls. Bed, Bedford, Bedford Falls. Falls. Bedford Falls. Um, I don't, now he might've, at that point, he might've with the $25,000, uh, uh, with the, the check he got from the, from the, his friend, the business part of the he on guy, but I forget his name, but Sam. he's Sam. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just always going to mention him as the he on guy. That's like, oh, that, that annoyed me to no end every time I watch the movie, but he's a great guy regardless. But, um, anyway. He's I don't a really know if he got it for him twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> right, really, exactly. Really great. I don't guy. know if that makes him richer than Potter, but I think the actual implication there was like, listen, you have all these friends around you, and Potter just has his minions. He doesn't have any friends. You are the richest man in town yeah. because you have the most friends, and you have enriched the town. Yeah. So, so it really has to do with relationships, and it really is a good indication of what's your wealth. And I think George, at the end of the whole film. He doesn't care about anything else. He's just like, just get me back to my wife and kids. And mm. something about that fundamental relationship of the family and then the, the friends that you make and the relationships that you invest in, that's really the wealth that you have around yeah. you because, yeah. Well, it's important to note, too, that there is there is a contrast and a comparison that could be done with uh, this and uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Mm. Uh, if you think about it, they both experienced... Uh, they were both in a position where they needed to be rescued and they were changed after their situation. So you have Christmas Carol where he, you have a cruel man um, suddenly go through this time with the three spirits and then he comes out, he, he emerges from it changed. Yeah. Now he says, okay, now I understand what a wonderful life I can live. Yeah. In this you find a man who has a wonderful life but loses sight of what he had. And in both instances, you see, oh, well, I do have, look at all these resources I'm given. Look at all these these uh, things that I can do with my life and also knowing what I can lose. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, but yeah, I made that reference to Dickens. Um, there was one thing that came to mind earlier, too. Um, my brain's going flat on it. What one of that? Well, this wasn't what I originally oh, I, was going to say, but yeah, you go ahead and finish your thought. Okay, well, uh, it does. It's kind of going more to that to a little bit more 
financial political side of the storyline that I don't I don't know if uh, you guys noticed or not, but and it's fairly basic. But it was kind of funny to me, at least at the beginning of the story, until you see Potter steal the money and everything. You know, he's he's obviously not a good person. Uh, in the beginning of the story, up until he actually like steals that deposit from uh, from Bailey Bank, he at least seems like he's very, although very cold, he's a good businessman. He knows not to necessarily mix. Uh, now, of course, he's not friends with the guy, but you know, like George basically kind of like bails out this guy because he's been having some problems and he has a family and everything. He's like, that's just not good business. He's just a friend. I get that, but on Potter's end, I'm not friends with this person. I have no emotional connection to this person. This is bad business. Um, so overall, he is a good businessman. He's obviously run an empire large enough to almost completely control this town, which is, again, monopolizing it, not necessarily so good At thing, the end of the day, he's basically a cold-hearted robot, basically the opposite of what yeah, yeah. George is, saying how he's so relational and he's impacting all these people. Mm-hmm. Potter, you know, like him or not, he's a successful businessman because he runs it by the books, yeah. as cruel and cold as a machine would. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, now that I think about the entire story, everybody in the entire storyline of this movie pretty much is a one-sided character. George is the only one who goes through changes, for the most part. Um, there are a few who you see a, some little changes. They're not like they're not super significant for the most part. Um, it just, he, he's, I mean, obviously he's the main character, but you think of like uh, his, his wife, Mary. I mean, they're from even whenever she you first kind of see her, she's obsessed with him. She loves him as a little girl. And then they see each other at this, I guess it was prom or graduation dance thing. And uh, she's obviously like still thinking like when she throws the rock and wishes and you find out later she wished for like for them to be together. It's like she's always been just like kind of the, not that it's a bad thing, a one-sided, wants to be a wife and mother and she's in love with George. Um, she's probably the only other most significant character in the entire storyline and she's still one-sided. Well, in a sense, you would need like a, a caricature almost for the character. Mm-hmm. In, in saying that once once his world is flipped upside down, there's something characteristic yeah. about these characters that is flipped, yeah. that you see the inverse of. And it's, it's funny to me, too, because it's something that's lost more and more in our, in our millennial culture. I hate millennials. Oh, millennials, I hate the term so much. And I hate that I am, I am one of them. But <laughs> anyway, uh, just how, again, this is one of the switches we see in George that makes him more than one-sided is... Um, Whenever they, like, the first time they kiss and he's, like, she's playing on the phone with Sam to make George jealous and everything in the house and everything. And they have that first kiss. You kind of see that switch in George where he's, like, he's he's kind of upset because he, he likes her a lot. But then he's had all these dreams and he's focused on his, he with the, all the things he wants to accomplish. He wants to make it big in one way or another and travel the world. And then he's just, like, but dang it, I really like this girl. You can just see the conflict building up and he's, like, pissed off. Just, like... No, this isn't what I'm supposed to want, and it's just funny to me. Like, more and more, we have all these guys now who are just like, you're, you're, like, I mean, I want, I'm, I can relate to them because I want to travel. I mean, I'm a musician and a singer. Like, I want to make it big, all that stuff. And, but you know, if I if I meet the right person, I, I hope that if you know, if I know it well enough and I'm willing to take the chance, the the people act like traveling and making it big is the risk. Honestly, the big, the bigger risk is going to be in your relationships. Mm-hmm. And we see fewer and fewer guys who are willing to take that risk and they go after, they feel like they have to make something of themselves first before they get to that point. And I mean, I can't really speak for the girl side of any of that type of relationship or what they think if a guy shouldn't be, should have made it first in all his goals before doing that. But, um, I'd like to think that whenever the right person comes along, I'm going to be like, you know, the most important thing now is that I want to build a life with this person and I'm going to, I mean, hopefully it can be something in what I want, but honestly, my main goal is just to make a living for, for her and our future family. That should be the goal at that point. That's, that is my dream at that point, not traveling, making it big, all that stuff that can be on the side when it's allowed, when there's time available. Um, yeah. and resources available. Because I think also, because as, as we're all kind of obviously coming at this from a Christian perspective, we have to yeah. ask ourselves, what's what am I trying to prove? And I think um, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, kind of had a thought about this. I'm trying to think, what were the three things? He said every male soul demands three things. It's one is a, a battle to be won, a beauty to fight for, and... I forget what the third one was, but there's something innate about the masculine soul that I feel like I need to prove something. Mm. 
that I need to conquer this, make something of myself to test myself. I mean, the day I was going hiking and, you know, battling giant, you know, bushes of thorns being ripped <laughs> to shreds, yeah. which, which is like, why, you know, do you want to risk, you know, having your flesh torn open by these, all these ridiculous thorns? It's like, I want to, I want to make something here, yeah. but it's also, I think there's just something about we're wanting to challenge ourselves and that's yeah. what's hard. I think that's not a bad thing because I feel like we just, we want to push ourselves, but as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, why am I pushing myself? And I feel yeah. like that's the battle here. It's like, am I pushing myself because I'm not going to be an, I'm a nobody if I don't do something significant, if I mm. don't prove people wrong or if I don't, whatever. Or we're doing this because it's like, you know, God, I believe you've made me for great things and I recognize this inside of me. So I'm going to yeah. go after these things because I feel like I was made for something more. You touched on something there for a brief second that uh, I want to dive into a little more. The um, It's funny, in modern culture, it's um, I guess for for males specifically, it's uh, in non-Christian culture. It's like you know, how many girls have you slept with in your life? Yeah. Uh, how many? You know, how much money do you make and things like that? But you know, if you if you look at men, I'm like those types of guys. I, I call them guys and boys. Like I've seen, I've I've seen 18 year olds. I'm like, you're a man. You know what you're doing. You at least have a goal. You're you're a good person. You. You know what's right and wrong, and you know how to live. Uh, you know how to live for God. Um, and then you see some guy, 33-year-old, and like just, just in his mannerisms, his attitude, the way he speaks, like, you're a 33-year-old boy. Um, but, you know, you think about it, just who do, would you actually classify as, um, as, as men? You know, is, uh, would you quantify it by how many girls you've slept with and how much money you make? Or how good are your relationships? You, if a guy is is has his, I, honestly, whether or not he has a family, it doesn't necessarily matter uh, as far as qualifying you as a man. But just if your relationship with God is good, even if you're not a Christian, you don't have a relationship with God. If your friendships or in your relationships with, with you your family, yeah, man, yeah, man of character. By your word, you pay your debts. Exactly. You? Yeah, yeah, and you have solid relationships. You don't take advantage of people in any way, shape, or form. You don't. You don't pursue things for a number. You pursue them for quality. Yeah. Um, so, that quantifies you as more of a man. Yeah. Actually, if I can jump here, um, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, there's been a lot of um, uproar with Hollywood and politics with all these yes. sexual scandals breaking out. Um, Kevin Spacey being one of one of many. And what was the who was the other big uh, Kevin uh, Weinstein, Weinstein? Yeah. Weinstein and just all of these like women are coming out, and there's just like. It's just people are dropping like flies. They're like, who is next? You know, yeah. who, you know, in all their history. And on one hand, I, women are speaking out, which is good. But what makes me sad is there's this whole like, yes, yeah, see, men are a bunch of slobs and how they take advantage of women. And it's true. Men have taken advantage of women. And I think of there's a quote that I'm thinking is more foundational than some, there's something to me more foundational than giving empowering women here. It's I feel like men have lost their integrity and character. And there's a quote I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes, but it says, um, "The only for evil to succeed, it only requires that good men do nothing." Mm -hmm. And I feel like in today's society, we've lost a lot of good men, good leaders who are doing nothing. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's so imperative well, about growing up is how do we grow up to be godly men who are men of character and people mm -hmm. and maybe you're not a, a christian or person of faith at all i'm just i'm just saying like how do we have men of character and integrity yeah. and calling out evil when we see it because if we if we do that i think that's going to be a more a society people want to live in is people who yeah. stand by their word and can be trusted and who stand up for justice and yeah. audience injustice right yeah gk chesterton actually calls uh, some men they he calls them men without chests Hmm. And uh, the way they uh, move Chesterton. that's Chesterton. The way they move forward okay. in um, just in false modesty, hmm. almost in the way that that this dictates their life, uh, and yeah. therefore it's not a movement forward hmm. or backward, and therefore inactivity, and yeah. you you fall for immorality or or terrible acts because you are. Uh, not moving forward or backward. There is no momentum. There's nothing propelling you forward mm. yeah. morally. And it's funny. You even think of, um, and now we, I, I, could, I couldn't speak for like 
flirting in bars, but you see it in, in portrayed in Hollywood sitcoms and shows like in the when the flirting happens and then um, something happens between those two people and like say they go home together, or they build something together, whatever it is. You see how it plays out is it's all a lie and just like you have to in a non-Christian flirtatious way, uh, the way it's like flirting is built is um, how, how can I portray my or how can I feign how high of quality a person I am until it gets to the point where I don't have to anymore. Hmm. So you're having to show off you have both both parties, I think especially on the male side because we're the one who's typically um, yeah, typically we're expected to initiate, which I'm not saying that's bad or good, and you can argue it either way, however you want to, but um, the entire method is, how can I show this other person that I am like the best person they could possibly get with, until once that once we have agreed to get with each other in whatever that sense that means to that person, um, then I don't have to anymore. Yeah, yeah. short term, this is profitable. Exactly. <laughs> Long term... Yeah. You're setting yourself well up for failure. Yes, very, very true. Quantity over quality. So, yeah. And that's the thing. You, know, you see all the, uh, I mean, what about all the, the cheap stuff you buy on Amazon that turns out to be from China? You know, the picture and the reviews look good until you buy it and you get it. It's like, oh, that wasn't that good, was it? Well, I'm saying, that, <laughs> well, this is what we do on social media, isn't it? We put yep. our best foot forward, our best face on our Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was a. Joke drum. Anyway, <laughs> two drums and a cymbal fall down. There, there, you go. There you go. Uh, but we do that because we're trying to put our best. Uh, you know, we're trying to show people, oh, how happy we are, how successful we are, and and what's really missing. And I think, I think you're going to see this uh, with our generation, the generation coming behind us, with all the social media. I think you're going to start seeing a migration, perhaps going back to more traditional forms of communication, because I feel like we've we've become so accustomed to. The mass uh, messaging, putting a picture up, yep. and you know, saying you know, oh yeah, LOL, or even even in Christian circles, you know, let's be honest, Christian circles mm -hmm. like, oh, we're praying for you, and it's like, do you do you, do you really care what I'm going yep. through? I think we're gonna see people going back to these kind of like wanting more genuine relationships, and that's the hard thing is you can't rush genuine relationships. You have to spend time. Oh yes. And spending time means you're gonna go through the good, the bad. And the ugly, and yep. and those are the only times. And I think we're in our culture. We want things instant. We want it now. And therefore, when the ugly comes, we don't work through it. We just say, "Okay, I'm going to move on to someone who makes me feel special." And I think that's yep. why you have all these, you know, one night stands, hook up relationships yep. that just end so easily because it's like, okay, this is not fun anymore. There's nothing, as you said, there's nothing profitable for me yep. anymore. Yeah, it's Very true. Sad, but true. All the number of times I've seen, uh, like on Sunday, I see a bunch of my Christian friends on Facebook, like here, post a verse or a quote from the sermon. The rest of the week you don't see. Sorry, dropped a pen. Um, the rest of the week you don't see anything like that, and it's just like Sunday. It's like, hey, here's a great verse we heard today in the sermon. Like, oh, aren't you a great Christian? Good for you. You posted a, you posted a verse online for the entire public to see. All your non-Christian friends are gonna see it, and just like. Oh, look at that. That's so beautiful. That's maybe something I should look into. It's like, oh, I've done my ministry. Yeah. Again, we're encouraged towards expression. Yeah. You know, but but what part of expression necessarily means communication? True. You know, so important things to think about. And perhaps that's also, that's a good point. I think that's one of the reasons why you know, politically there's just a lot of fire going around. I think that's why mm. people are so easily offended. There's... Social media has created a, a culture where we are we have more freedom of expression than ever before, but we're in a we we're now on the opposite scale of that where we're in a flood of expression, and so yeah. you have to fight for your voice to be heard, and so it's it's tough because people are expressing themselves, and mm -hmm. sometimes or many times expressing themselves perhaps things they really don't know or understand, or they're just saying whatever's on their mind, and it's not yeah. true, or it's just really their opinion which is expressing your opinion is fine but if it's going to be ruthless or turn someone down like yeah. you really need to watch what you say but i feel like people are concerned that i'm my voice isn't being heard so i have to do more extreme things to be heard yeah. and that's well and you know work and relationships have very similar aspects on how to build them um i think relationships typically will take more time but um i regardless the amount of effort you put in will actually influence the quality or the uh, 
validity of your opinion. Like there's, there was a quote from actually a TV show that I loved that was, um, it was kind of said sarcastically, but it, it it's very, very true. Um, in regarding the millennials, it was, uh, you have to earn your right to have your opinion. Cause like, it's, it's very, very true. Now at work, you know, if you no, I, I expound on that real quick before we move on from that point, like you have to earn your right for your, your opinion to be heard. What? You have to earn the right to have an opinion. And now not, not that's, that's taking a little out of context from where the quote was placed. Cause there was a whole speech around it, but um, obviously, you 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 can have an opinion. I love but, that. I was like, out of context around the whole speech, it was taken. Well, because it, it the way it said the way to just say that one line, it's fairly clear, uh, except for the fact that it sounds like you can't have an opinion until you've Not earned sure. it. But the the idea is that you have to, um, for others to actually listen to your opinion and consider it, you have to earn that right. Mm -hmm. um, you can have an opinion all day long. You can voice it. You can yell it out in the streets. Doesn't matter. Your friends aren't going to care. Your, well, if they are your friends, that means you've, you've put some time and effort into those friendships. Once they are friends, you can have an opinion. You can voice your opinion in, in, with those friends. At work, now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be possibly less time than a friendship might take, depending on the friendship. It could vary. But, you know, you could be at a job for two months, and if you work harder than anybody else, it is possible to go ahead and move up. I've seen friends do it. Um... I mean, it just, and it depends on circumstances and things too. But, you know, if you move up, then you have a louder opinion. You know, if you're at the bottom of the barrel, your opinion doesn't do much. It just becomes like, you need to pay me more. Why? And no. <laughs> so they're probably not even going to ask why. They're just going to say no. It's like, you, you don't have any power in this situation. So. We're kind of tying that back into the movie here. Um, yeah, we kind of look going off. The yeah, movie, yeah. But kind of going um, back to the movie, that's... Mr. Potter has this opinion of, you know, people, you know, like a robot, like you do X, Y, and Z, you pay your mm -hmm. stuff on, on time or you foreclose your house. And um, Bailey or George and his father before him were of the opinion. It's like, well, yeah, they think times are hard. They're going to pay it back. And so they, they were seeing the best in people mm -hmm. where they're like, yeah, I understand times are hard, but I believe you are a man or woman of your word. You're going to pay back this loan on time. And yeah. so it's, that's a whole thing we've lost as well as the art of being human, I guess. How do yeah. we relate with one another? It's seeing the best in people, and we've lost yeah. that today. Yeah, I, I, mean, I work in retail, and I get many people who it's like, you know, in, in my mind, I'm very Ron Swanson-like. You know, you, you shake a man's hand, it's like, all right, that is a deal. That is, in, in my mind, that is a friendly contract. It's like, all right, you have agreed to do this deal with me, and if you have some questions or you find a better deal somewhere else, you're going to come to me, and I will honor the deal that you got better because you and I are men of our word. Many times that doesn't actually happen, and you get disappointed and frustrated, but in my, in my mind, I'd like to honor that. Just, you know, the handshake is the contract. Hmm. Now, if it's actually a legal matter, you know, to some degree, like if I, you know, I'm in music, you know, somebody wanted to give me a recording contract. I'm not leaving that up to a handshake. Like that just doesn't happen. So especially now you find out what Hollywood's really like. It's like, that's probably not a good idea to leave that up to just trusting the other person with, uh, with your entire career. Yeah. So well, when uh, you see that through scripture also, yeah. where there's like uh, certain gestures mm -hmm. done to prove an agreement, uh, certain things like remember like, uh, the man putting his hand under, uh, Abraham's leg, yeah, or his thigh. I think it was what it was. Mm -hmm. Just as a as a uh, an example of of, of the yeah. promise that was gonna. Or even like in that. Uh, yeah, you're right. And even like in the book of Ruth, like you know, they exchange sandals to mm -hmm. to fortify the the agreement between cousin to cousin that I will now. Uh, you are giving me Ruth to or like Boaz was. I forget what uh, was his cousin Orin. I think it was. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Boaz's cousin, who was kind of a closer cousin to. Uh, uh, Ruth and Naomi's family, so he had, uh, for lack of a better term, first dibs on Ruth. <laughs> that sounds bad. I don't mean it that bad. So, but uh, you know, they they exchanged so how did you sandals. Guys so. get married? Like, tell the story about your proposal. <laughs> well, I had first dibs, and uh, yeah, don't ever ever. Use We're that. gonna do the ghetto story of Ruth here. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they exchanged sandals to say, all right, you have now agreed that um, that I that. I Boaz have uh, have the legal right to marry Ruth and take care of their family now, um, and because uh, his cousin, I think his name was Orin, but anyway, uh, his cousin just you know didn't didn't want her. So regardless of that fact, it was 
you know, that, that gesture meant, all right, the deal is sealed. Even, uh, you can even go to the religious side of Israel and go to the, uh, in Old Testament times, you know, it was uh, slaughtering a lamb. There was actually a tradition where you would, if uh, uh, in a contract setting even, like it was a promise, like it wasn't, it was more than a legal contract. This was like a binding covenant between two people. So it was more extreme version. Um, but if it was between two people, they would, I think it was a lamb. They would literally cut a lamb in half and, and let the blood spill onto the floor uh, and walk in down the, between that lamb. And that is now a blood covenant between two people. And like, if you broke that covenant, I think, I think they could be killed or kicked out of Israel, something like that. I'm not sure what all the details were, but I remember that was a, that was a much more extreme, like blood covenant between two people, but even just between Israelites and God, you know, sacrificing a lamb, that was a gesture that I'm genuinely sorry for my sins. Here is a sacrifice in penance of those. Mm-hmm. And I just also want to make kind of like a, jump in there just to make a thought of that a lot of times like when i think as christians we tend to look at the bible and we tend to gloss over the fact that it's like you're talking about killing an animal you know? yeah talking about a blood covenant that sounds pretty gory. it sounds, a little it dark. sounds like yeah. you know what kind of god is asking for yeah. you know what kind of aspect god is demanding blood of his subjects and is it just because he's a um sadist that he loves the seed and the blood and whatnot but yeah. i think this really goes to god's justice because we always ask the question, this is going to open a real can of worms, and we can go here if we want to. But no, we, you can always go fishing with worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, there you go. We always ask the question, you know, if there is an all-good, loving, powerful God, how can there be evil and suffering in the world? And that's a very hard question to mm-hmm. wrestle with. Well, you kind of have to ask the question, or sorry, you were going to you were continue saying. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I just wanted to wrap up by saying sorry, that, because there's the personal side of it where it's like, you know, you're going through a rough time, and rough time going through a hellish time perhaps and just like where is god in this and the fact that we're asking the question you know we're asking the question i demand justice ensues that we believe there is a standard of justice and that god has violated that in some capacity hmm. and it's not this own like this is my own personal standard of justice we have this we have this degree of justice where we're like this should not be the way things are and because it is where is god and the question would be, if there was no God, if we still had that standard of, I have been violated, or perhaps someone you know had been violated, perhaps, um, oh, I remember I was listening on a radio broadcast where two younger brothers, their younger, two brothers, their younger sister had been raped by somebody. And because of that, um, it was someone in the church, and they just said, you know, we're done with God. We are completely done with God. And coming from the brother's perspective, I could see, like, I would totally understand that you know that's not something they just be like oh you just need to have faith or you know yeah god got all things work together for good which he does but that's not the time just to lightheartedly slap down that verse yeah that is evil and it's rough yeah. it's just unexcusable yeah. but the mother came to them and talking with them saying like what happened was monstrous and wrong and it is good to ask god why did this happen how could you allow this to happen that's a fair question to ask because it's like, if you're good and just, how can this happen? Mm-hmm. And her question to them saying that we're asking God, how can you let this happen? That this is unjust. But if there is no God, because as Christians, we believe that God is going to execute his final justice at the you know end of time here. So that justice will be avenged. If there is no God though, then what that um, man did to your sister Will never be justified. Will never be brought to justice because there is no standard of justice, and there's nothing to say that he will be paid in full for his his evil that he's done. And so that's kind of a. It's still hard to wrestle with yeah. that question of evil, but it's like, but that's the hope. It's like, okay, God, I understand. I don't see the justice yet, but that's the hope: is one day you will bring all things under your foot, and yeah. justice will be served. You know, a good Go example of that uh, is from the movie from It's a Wonderful Life is because you see his personal justice in a way of him coming to the end of himself mm-hmm. and saying, I deserve to die. I don't well, deserve it wasn't, to exist. If you watch, if you saw what he was actually doing, you know he had the insurance contract. He wasn't killing himself necessarily. Now, he might have mm-hmm. had those thoughts too. He wasn't necessarily thinking, I deserve to die, because it wasn't, wasn't really anything his fault. It was like, you know, I have a $15,000 life insurance that will take care of both my family and my business simultaneously. Because my if I file up my business die, my family will suffer. So if I kill myself, all that money goes to everybody there, and they're secure for life. Mm-hmm. I think.
think that was more the thought yeah. going through his head. Oh, that may be true, though. So, but he, your point is still valid. Even it's just then, yeah, still. not quite as in with the movie, but still valid point. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. Still, you see, yeah, the, moving forward with that in mind, you see that uh, he's proven wrong mm-hmm. uh, on the other side of him using this decision uh, as his ultimate decision. You know, right. thinking that he is fulfilling what needs to be fulfilled, and it ends up wrong. But that required a different perspective. Of him yeah. stepping on the other side of, of a reality where he wasn't in. Yeah. So you see, again, this this goes back to a God completing his purposes. Eventually, and us, us not necessarily see what's on the other side. Yeah. You know, so that, it's funny yeah. to me how the entire movie is very um, it's very biblical without being super outright biblical because you actually see from the beginning, like you could even call it like there was a whole providence thing being, being worked out because, you know, you saw, um, it was fairly brief, but you know, in the beginning they talk about, you know, because he saves his brother, he loses hearing in his, in his left ear. Um, and then later on, as he grows up, the war happens and he can't get drafted for that reason. Therefore, he couldn't leave the town, ta- or he was able to. He was able to stay in town and run the business. If he had been drafted and gone to war, and his ear had been okay, and he was able to do that, then Potter would have been taken over the whole town, and the story's done. I mean, there's nothing left to tell. Potter wins, um, and then, then he would have never met Mary. And never would have. Yep. None of that is just like. Well, I don't know, because no, no, because remember he was married whenever. When the war happened. Yeah, when the war happened, but okay. but yeah, still. Um, he would have, um, it, I mean, the story would have ended. So it was just kind of a whole providential thing. And then, you know, at the very end, you know, he prays to God, just like, God, let me, let me live again. Let me be with my family, give them back to me and everything. So uh, a lot of actual biblical stuff going on without being uh, kind of up until the very end, without being very biblical, very kind of Christian centered a little bit. Um, there was, or you, you guys talk. I, 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 I'm, my brain just, my brain's catching back up with itself now. Well, Sorry. one thing I would say is, when people, like, when we talk about things being biblical, like, I think we, we can look at it one of two ways. One, we can say that, oh, look, that is chapter and verse. That's biblical. Yeah, you're it's right. In the verse, verse, and I know you're not saying that. Um, there's the other part though. It's, um, I'm a, <coughs> I, I love talking about things that are worldviewish. Like, as if, you know, we're three young men. We all have a worldview that we're looking at. You know, things we're all. Uh, white Caucasians were Christians, specifically Protestants. Growing up in America, we all have a, a worldview. We're seeing the world through a particular lens, and that's not bad. Or, that's not bad. It's just a fact of life. If you're a Muslim or an atheist, or if you're from India or from uh, Russia, you're going to have a particular lens you see the world in. And so, what we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to be like, okay, I recognize my lens that I'm seeing the world here, and at least trying to step step back and say, like, yeah, I can see. Other lenses as well, yeah. but the point I was point I want to make with that is, um, I believe we're living in God's world that we're made in God's image, and that God is good, He's just, and a lot of those characteristics are attributed to us, and so therefore, what we f- we find some commonality with justice, truth, character, and all these things, and so therefore, I think when you're saying it's biblical, we're saying things that something in our souls like, yes, this is the way it ought to be, that a man ought to you know, supply for his family, that mm-hmm. when he's in, when he's down, his community ought to go, come together. And those are yeah. those are those things like relationships. We, I believe that's the way we're made, made in God's image, mm-hmm. and that's the way it's designed. And so when we see those things played out, we are excited because we're like, yes, this is what it's supposed to be like. Because yeah. I was actually getting teared up, actually. Oh, I did too. When like when everyone's coming in, because there's something about that in the human soul. You're just like, this is how it's supposed to be. That we're supposed to look out for one another. That you've got my back, and that one. Yeah. There's just something about that that's just beautiful, and yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's funny to me, like, um, and I don't mean to get super political here again. I'm sorry. The uh, Jerry likes politics. I'm sorry, I do. <laughs> I, like, I, I, my entire, my mom, my mom and my oldest brother, they are very, very political people, and it has rubbed off on me. So I apologize, but I'm only gonna make it's this making, one. It's making us better people. Just this so one similar. Well my yes. fellow Americans, right? <laughs> my fellow <laughs> Americans. All right. Um, but no, just this one correlation that I've noticed, like that. That whole idea of, of like at the end of the movie where you know everyone's helping each other out financially speaking, even even just the Baileys in general, their business and the way they run it, helping people out, you know, you know, um, 
seeing the best in people and helping and uh, financially helping each other. Um, that is, in some sense, kind of a socialist view. That, that is a socialist idea to where everybody pools their money together and spreads it out to help each other. Um, the only problem is for it to actually work, there has to be a loving relationship there. And you can't do that well, throughout so, an entire country. But well, and, and uh, I always, oh, go ahead, finish. Well, no, that, that was basically it. You're good. I was thinking about this uh, the other day and how like a lot of companies, there's a lot of bureaucracy there. And I forget how the quote goes, but it's, um, it's called the speed of trust. And I think that's why the United States is, I think that's why the United States is, honestly, I don't want to start just speaking doom and gloom here, but I feel like that's why the United States is kind of falling apart is because we don't trust each other. Yeah, that's true. And when you, people don't trust one another, not having good relationships, mm -hmm. you have to have crazy legal contracts. You have very expensive lawyers who can find loopholes. It's very, mm -hmm. trust or distrust is a very expensive uh, Thing business. Thing not to have, yeah. And so when you have trust, it just expedites things tremendously because you don't have to have, you know, people making sure yeah. that scandals aren't going on. You don't, because yeah. they're supposed to be people of integrity. You don't have to make sure that, you know, the cash store, when you're checking out, it's being, you know, yeah. make sure um, things were, you know, the tills completely covered. I mean, um, yeah. I feel like we've lost that sense of trust mm -hmm. in one another and that's hard to get back. Yeah, it's very true. Um, yeah. Random thought. Actually, we were laughing as we we're watching the movie because we kept noticing a lot of correlations to 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> that was great. Just because he's got the uh, um, not the he has a pipe actually, which is totally um, what's his the the dad's name. I forget the all the characters 101 Dalmatians. I've forgotten them other than Cruella Deville, but yeah. Because it's kind of from that era, but we all yeah. laughed, especially when George <laughs> is going to the bridge to um, almost commit suicide. There's this truck that pulls up, and you're like, this is the freaking truck from 101 Dalmatians that all the puppies are on there and drives away. And you're like, George, <laughs> you could have saved the puppies. I mean, it, it all works out in the end, but it was Yeah, really it's, it's really funny. After this, you'll never watch it the this movie the same way again. Yeah. But, um, actually, one thing I also wanted to jump in there was I – something I didn't notice until we were just talking a few moments ago. Um, George is – he wants to do big things. That's what he says, you know, mm -hmm. he wants to build skyscrapers, bridges, trains, all that jazz. He's, and he can't leave because he, he is trying to help his dad and then he wants to go to college and then he says, you know what, I'll go and stay behind so I can say, say, uh, pre prevent Potter from taking over so his brother goes to college. His brother comes back from college and he's married so he's got to stay longer. And it seems that George is becoming very bitter He's very cynical to where when he's finally getting to his breaking point, he's just letting all the steam out about like, you know, the house is a drabby. Yeah. Why are we in this, you know, you know, the kids, why are we in this town? He's dealing with a lot of bitterness and I feel like he's finally able to come to grips with letting go of his vision for his Yeah, what well, he, he's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's, he's trying to grapple that. And finally, I think he lets go. And he's like, you know what? I'm letting all that go because I have my wife and kids. Yeah. And so I feel like it's really George's quest to let go of his bitterness yeah and i feel like that's a great lesson for all of us too because mm. there's things we want to hold on to and feel like you know bitterness is kind of like drinking rat poison and expecting like the other person to die yeah. you know they did this to me so yeah. i'm not gonna let them off the hook that easily yeah and can i just mention that mary is probably one of the most attractive actresses and just yeah. characters <laughs> of all time like for me because like just uh, now i understand this is not everybody's type but man like you give me a woman that is that beautiful and then takes a house like that in that shape and just over uh, like a year or a couple of years or whatever, she makes it into like that insanely beautiful home. It's like, well, in oh Innovative gosh, like, too, like, did you see yes. like the record and the way she put it, the chicken over the, over the fire? And stuff? Yes. Like that was, and, like, and she cooks and everything. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this woman is amazing. And then yes. even she like, she gets like, she hears about her husband's problems and she immediately takes action like. She causes the ending. She is the driving force behind the entire ending we cry over. It's just like, man, you're awesome. Like, what, what is the... I love you. Every, behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah. And Jim Carrey says, every, there's a great woman rolling her eyes. Sort of <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, you're just great. like, when she's the, like, she's kind of this old maiden librarian. <laughs> Literally. Jerry's just like, yep, still hot. Yeah. <laughs> still hot librarian. Yep, still, yep, still yep, good. So. But uh, any other thoughts from the movie? Uh, we need to go looking for ladies at the library. <laughs> Apparently. 
No, and also you you. Well, there was this cute girl in the case, so you know they're. Okay. (laughs) Just go up to her. He's like, "Hey, I'm an open book. You want to open your phone and give me your number?" Yes. Uh, The the other thing also. And she says, "I'm married." It's like you can't be married. This is not how this is supposed to (laughs) work. Sorry. Uh, Considering the historical period too, at this time, you also still see that there's certain Christian values still upheld Mm -hmm. in the society. Mm -hmm. So. It's not. It it wasn't uncommon for a film necessarily to be made with those themes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah but the way the way they build on it, though, and and the way they promote uh, the community and and uh, the acts of kindness too that he he did through the film. Yeah. And how he he almost didn't notice those acts of kindness. He it's like he he moved forward, and that's at that at that end point where he when he says he didn't want to exist anymore. Suddenly, he looks back and and, and, he sh- and he's shown these acts of kindness were of significance, mm-hmm. you know. So it's so much more than just what the cultural Christian values. Yeah, it goes far more. It goes deeper it's than virtue. that into yeah. into yes into a virtue into a kindness that touches each and every person, and that's significant and makes uh, a huge. It will send a ripple effect yeah. into all society. Yeah, that's one thing people fail to do: invest in virtue. Mm-hmm. It may not always pay off financially. I mean, it could. You never know, like it did in the film. But the biggest thing is gonna it's gonna pay off in making you a much more joyful, satisf- satisfied person. And yet, if we were paid to become virtuous, it, it still would, wouldn't end. It would be virtue. It's funny, actually. There was a uh, when it, growing up, my um, this is kind of a, a weird way to portray it, but my family, like, we used to play video games way too much. Of course, this was, you know, Nintendo 64, so like, it was a great... game podcast. Mm-hmm. I've been dying. Oh, man, that those. would be fun. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to do one of these table talk things on a, uh, uh, on, on a video game sometime. We'll see what we can glean from something like that. There we but, go. Uh, but anyway... Smash um, Brothers, here we come. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so we, were, we played way too much Nintendo 64... And uh, so my parents came up with the systems like, all right, no longer are you going to, um, uh, you're not just going to ask to play games or anything like that. You're not going to, um, uh, you're not just going to, you know, when you have free time, you're not just going to go and play video games. Here's what's going to happen. Um, every time you do a chore, whether asked to or not to, it's one of the ones you're required to, or you come up with something to do or clean or something like that. Um, I think they even include like anytime you get like an A or a 95% or up or something on a test, something like that. Um, then you, uh, we will give you like these little minutes, these little slips of papers with minutes on there. We put these in a jar, we collect them over time. And then whenever you want to play video games, then you pull out two, add them together. That is your time frame to play video games. It's like, okay, that was kind of creative, but it kind of gets to the point where you're doing nice things for the wrong reason. Mm. And uh, you're, you know, you're, we're giving mom and dad a, a foot or back rub, or we're cleaning the kitchen, or uh, we're making dinner, or we're, we're studying really hard, which is like, you know, all great things. Um, and I can argue that the studying hard is definitely the best thing that should that should be focused on for that. But you know, you start doing it for the wrong reasons, and economical it's, value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to a degree, it's still a great teaching tool, but. You know, if you start being nice to your parents all the time and being res- being respectful just so you can play video games, like, that's not quite right. And we actually, it's funny, my parents weren't, weren't the ones who realized that. We, like, me and my brothers came to my parents like, hey, listen, and this, again, this is like when we're 12 or 13, and we're like, listen, we don't want to be doing these things just because you because we get a reward out of it because we're being nice to you and doing these things just so we can play video games that doesn't quite that doesn't quite sit well so from now on just tell we'll, we'll just ask when we can play games and you tell us yes or no give us a time limit if you want to blah 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 mm-hmm. this is like so they were they were proud of us for actually recognizing that i was like 12 or 13 is like we recognize something that my parents did there you oh, go yeah. nice too bad you could have made a business out of it i know right yeah so, didn't think far ahead maybe. enough Create a franchise, just knock it off to different houses. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a network. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anything else we can think of? I don't know where I want to go with this, but I just noticed this. How? What would you guys say? Like, would you guys say notice there is more of a? I don't. I, I don't know. If this is going to be too hard, the word, but more of a chauvinistic 
understanding of like how the world worked. Like it definitely wait, was wait, say that word again. Show chauvinistic. Oh, chauvinistic. Oh, okay. Yeah, like right now we're living. I feel like in a, we're living in a very feministic age where you know empowering women. You know, women need to start taking charge, and how you know, women need to be in more films and things like that. Which I'm fine with women being in more films. It's just to me, if you're going to sacrifice the story for the sake of putting the woman as the star, then I feel like you're just you're making an agenda move and not an actual like right, yeah, good story for its own sake. Because it's like you know, there's a lot of great female protagonists. Just don't ruin the story just to get your point across. And, yeah, but. Just for example, like I feel like the way it's interesting, the way um, George would—he's <laughs> talking with some of his um, one of his coworkers, like he's like definitely he's not strangling the guy, but he's just a lot more aggressive in the way he's treating Mary. Like he's sometimes shaking her around. It just seemed hmm. more aggressive, and I know yeah. he doesn't mean anything by it. It just seemed like it was a more aggressive nature than yeah. perhaps in what we're what would be considered normal or right. more acceptable today. I, I don't know. I mean, did you guys pick it up? Oh, yeah, yeah. That that always concerned me in the film. Just like that, like, for uh, to, to some degree, I'm kind of like, how can she actually like this guy? Like, right. he kind of, like, shakes her really hard. And, like, that's that's a little too aggressive, dude. Um, I guess just not quite right. And I don't know quite how to go, go about mm-hmm. explaining how, like, how they fill that in for her. Like, if, if she was not as much of a one-sided character in this film, then... Uh, they might dive into that how she's you know how that kind of changed over a little bit or maybe she you could even argue that she just recognized like this is him struggling he's trying to decide this is what he this is the move he wants to make um well cons- also his passion i think that's where yeah, his passion comes through true. and he's also you see through the film he can be very self-forgetful constantly looking out for his brother that's true and uh, again keeping uh, these acts of kindness that sometimes he even forgot to do yeah, uh, or he forgot. Sorry, not forgot to do, he but forgets, uh, to take forgets care of that he had already done. So he forgets himself. Yeah, and in True. doing that, sometimes his passion just simply comes out roaring like a lion, and yeah, so it comes off in moments like that. So yeah. I think that was the side that it was trying to portray. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. it was it was trying to per se like uh, explain some violent nature that he had I think right it's yeah. just his passion because really the only time you actually see him get violent was after the business died and he was home and he you can kind of see him like just trying to hold back and then finally just kind of breaks free and he starts kicking tables and smashing the train set and everything but and he punches uh, a policeman when he's in, on the other side yeah non-existent george yeah so. mr nobody actually i do want to make a actually a very important point to make um what did you guys think about the level of communication in the film? Like, George, his wife asks him, what's wrong? And he could tell her, but he doesn't. Yeah. I think that's still him battling who he's who he thinks he's supposed to be. Because, obviously, in his mind, if he's mm. pursuing the vision of who he had when he was growing up and, you know, leaving college and everything, wanting to travel the world, that he still feels a little bit... He's holding on to to him as a bachelor, you might say. He's holding on to that vision a little bit, um, <clears throat> and then you could also even argue that he's uh, he's holding on to his uh, like this is him. This is between him and his father, even though his father's dead. This is the business and the town that his father loved, and he's supposed to. He's inherited this responsibility, and this is his job and his purpose now. But he also wants to hold on to that bachelor vision of himself that maybe he can get to that someday in some way, shape or form. And so he just, he doesn't fully connect to them. But of course, you know, once there's that whole turnaround and he's uh, come back to reality, then, you know, he's, he's hugging his kids, kissing their cheeks and uh, hugs his wife. You can, it's actually kind of funny to me. Like she's trying to tell him something and he keeps kissing her and kissing her. I'm just like, you know, I probably feel the same way at that moment. you fool. (laughs) Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that would be my argument that he's just, he's still, he was still holding on to a good, himself a little yeah, bit. That's a good, good uh, observation. And perhaps that's something that as we become, you know, more, you know, become older men, we all wrestle with the vision of this is what I, I'm supposed to be my grand vision of my life. But then yeah. here is what my life actually is. Mm-hmm. And it's not perhaps anywhere near as grandiose as we imagined it would be. And yeah. We have to let that image go, but we don't want to because that's 
Well, there may be a point in the film that speaks kind of speaks to that with him that you see when he says old and drafty house, it's used differently. Yes. It's used endearing at the end. He's, a, he's accepted it. Yeah, yeah, he's accepted it. And it's it, so. his old and drafty house. And I've been end. guilty of doing that too, of, of seeing all these things that seem like weaknesses or seem yeah. uh, like issues that just are simply in the way, yeah. uh, keeping you from, from reaching that next point, the, the, the fort that you're trying to conquer before you get to yeah. the, the other side. And yeah. suddenly you, feel, you find, especially if you're a Christian, you're like, these are battles to be won. Even if you're not mm-hmm. a Christian, you know, these are things that you fight and come out a better person on the yeah. other side. Because now you've learned something, you've you've improved, you've learned, you've come yeah. to a knowledge of something. Reminds hmm. me of that quote from Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings, where, um, what? How does it go? He's like, you know, we there's uh, we have to fight, and Sam or Frodo's like, you know, what are we fighting for, Sam? And, and Sam was like, you know, there's good in this world, Mister Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And those are the small things. Yeah. It's the small things <laughs> that like you know, they're worth fighting for. And uh, yeah, that's. Yeah. And it's funny to me even think about um, like me growing up as a kid, I did not like the outdoors, not really, for the most part. Like, you know, if I if I got, you know, muddy and dirty and, and all hot and sweaty outside and stuff like that, like I hated it. It was like disgusting. Mm-hmm. Now just I don't know what when it exactly changed, but now like I can go outside, mow the lawn or uh, chop some wood, dig some holes, whatever it is. <laughs> and I was like, you know, getting a breath of fresh air out of this like this is great so like, satisfying i feel like a man you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's Little, go build uh, a log cabin right now guys right yeah, let's <laughs> go. i got it i got my hatchet right there let's go all right yeah i just ordered a machete off off of the wish shop so i'm waiting for that then i'll go hunt oh yeah it just came in the door Excellent. just now we're good to go dude i love the wish app it is awesome it is okay. one of the best things ever because <laughs> uh, i mentioned this to you adam how talking about communication i was thinking about shakespeare's plays and i'm like you know some liter- literary critic's going to probably shoot me for saying this, but you really could boil down Shakespeare's plays down to two ideas. Deception and miscommunication. <laughs> You're very, very because right. Because either the, there's one character who's deceiving the situation to make it not look like as it appears, or someone said something and it was completely misunderstood, and therefore yeah. the whole adventure takes off. And it's like, Well, and you, know, you think about it, I mean, even it's it's funny to me. His comedies weren't as funny as his tragedies. Yeah, <laughs> most of his tragedies were actually really hilarious. Like *Midsummer Night's Dream* is a tragedy. Uh, it, it technically, right? They it's technically written. I've not as, read that one actually. Okay, I think *Midsummer Night's Dream* is actually classified as a tragedy, but it is it's absolutely hilarious. Um, I think I think it was classified as a tragedy. But I've I've watched and listened to and read some of his plays, and it was like the some of the tragedies were kind of funny in places. Um, where was my point going? I forget now. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I remember. Uh, that happens Lockerton, a lot here. It happens a lot to me, especially, I think. I drink too much coffee, my brain gets ahead of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, though, what I was saying, I think, though, a lot of the comedic situations in movies now are based on those two things. You know, miscommunication and, what was the other one you said? The deception. Deception, yeah. I mean, look at every single sitcom ever made. Every single funny situation is out of those two, like, one of the funniest situations ever played out in the show of Friends, in my opinion, at least, was uh, whenever uh, Chandler and Monica are hiding their relationship, and then like Phoebe like flirts with them and everything. Just like they don't know that we know they know we know, and it's just like, what? Come on! And it's just like lying upon lying upon lying to each other just to make a funny situation. Right. Um, and there's still miscommunication at first between Phoebe and Chandler. Just like it's like she's obviously faking flirting with him but just like all this stuff is and perhaps that's kind of like deception maybe will be your drama and yeah. miscommunication is your comedy because i think of one of my favorite miscommunication sketches uh, sketches is who's on first oh yes <laughs> it's so clear to us but because the situation yeah. lends itself to you know who's on first who well who's the guy in first base who was on first have you you know it just it's yeah. it's priceless it's mm-hmm. great um any other any other thoughts with contributing um i can't think of anything else personally i don't know other than using the bedford falls as an example for our lives have you have you heard that before it's often used as at least i've seen it that way i've even used it on occasion of of almost being like stuck in a bedford falls almost like a mayberry 
Kind okay. of like in uh, Andy Griffith's show. I see. So you could see, uh, you yeah. could almost say Bedford Falls on the other side when he hasn't changed, uh, you know, when he, he hasn't become his non-existent self. He, right. He sees it at, at a disadvantage. He sees it as a place that, it, as a... It's uh, a cell. Something that, yeah, something that suppresses his dreams or yeah. it treads on his dreams to quote mm-hmm. uh, Equilibrium. You're up in my grill, man. Bring it along. It turns into the, the, the ending scene from... Uh, from Tangled, I found a new dream. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it so really true. So it's true. very, very true. You like his family is my new dream. dream. Yes. <laughs> my dream. I just did you were my new dream. It's great. Uh, so it's great. Anyway, using Bedford Falls, <clears throat> that will be in my writing. So I copyright that now. There we go. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Actually, that's one other point, and perhaps we can wrap up after this. Yeah. Is um, art inspiring other art? Because as you mentioned, Jerry, um, the movie. You mentioned the uh, the Raven, the Raven and yeah. that pulls perhaps from Edgar Allan Poe the Raven, and then you mentioned um, was it Tom, Tom Sawyer was Tom in there Sawyer, yeah. and um, and how there's all these references that like you know um, an angel gets his wings like that's a cultural reference mm-hmm. now that everyone just knows, and how it's interesting how good art inspires other good art, yeah, and um, I feel like that's why you know watching good movies like this is good because you see mm-hmm. how do good character arcs act, how do good you know. You, when the characters are one, what would you say, one-sided? Yeah, most of the characters feel once well, they, can, can, they seem feel, one-sided well, can seem one-sided. Can seem one-sided, and yeah, they, they do play a role, and the, the the roles are very well filled. Yeah. for a movie like this, but yeah. um, and not, and I hate to say one-sided because that makes it feel like they're flat characters. Every single character in the movie is very rich. Everyone is phenomenal actor. They definitely have dynamic to them. Just their entire purpose to influence the storyline is pretty much one-sided. There's not really. Uh, a, an elongated change or emotional journey for other characters other than George, which you'll often see more characters today in today's movies, especially. You see more characters, at least two, maybe three, in a movie sense, have some sort of you know an elongated change. Like you can even see in even something as that can seem as one sided as like Iron Man, uh, Iron Man movie. You have Tony Stark, but you also have Pepper Potts. I mean, you see her go from kind of the the assistant to the girlfriend and you know she she has her thoughts and influences on tony and things like that she's not fully one-sided she goes through some changes too and i mean even something she as, does don the the suit actually at one point or that's so. true too that was pretty cool um but yeah so even yeah. something as the iron pot <laughs> <laughs> and oh, she's got yeah. the really hot red hair already so i mean you guess it's true that just goes oh and then it. the best scene in iron man 3 where it's just like she she punches the guy away and she's like literally on fire she's like i'm hot <laughs> he's like yeah you are so. like, yes you are so anyway so well that seems like a great note to end on after <laughs> yes. all this conversation we just end on a very uh uh anyway yeah <laughs> no but late. it's like it's it's, yeah it is late but it's just uh it's human but um i can't finish sentences at the moment yeah but um anybody have coffee <laughs> t-shirt meme of the night but yes. anyway but yeah definitely uh, if you've never seen um uh, it's a wonderful life is a fantastic film just from a lot of good different angles and uh, hopefully we've um whetted your appetite to go see that movie especially during the christmas season because it's, yeah. it's a christmas classic among many of the best but um it's funny how you know the whole movie doesn't even begin at christmas time and it has nothing to do with christmas and it just ends on christmas um, on Christmas, Christmas Day, on yeah. Christmas Eve, Christmas Christmas Day, yeah. And I guess that's kind of the ultimate gift is this realization that you really yeah. do have a wonderful. This might be a good point to end on is you really do have a wonderful life if you just look at it from a whole different perspective. You can yeah. look at your challenges as problems or opportunities. Yeah. It's much like a propeller where if you're um on a in a boat, you have your propeller, and of course there's resistance in the water. But if you didn't have the resistance in the water. You're not going to get anywhere. You wouldn't go anywhere. Why do you think space travels so hard? <laughs> and, <laughs> we don't have resistance. And that's perhaps the, you know, I, we, I mentioned the verse earlier, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, life is not easy, and there's very difficult times, and we're all called to walk different roads and how this challenges. It's interesting how if George would have gone off to war, who knows what George would have could have been. It seemed like he was a pretty good guy to begin with, but, you know, he would not have had nearly the kind of, character and enduring mm-hmm. um be the enduring person that we yeah. know him to be had he not stayed in bedford falls yeah. and so mm-hmm. who knows what that big challenge that's facing you that might be just the very thing that makes you someone that really stands out from everyone else because you have this 
character trait now under your belt. And that makes you stand out for this particular job or this new opportunity overseas because you have something that nobody else has. So Yeah, it's true. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why it resonates so well as a Christmas movie is because, myself included in this, it's so easy, like right before Christmas time and everything and, or Christmas Day, even just like you look at your life and you, sometimes it's so easy to get depressed depending on what's going on in your life. Even if you have the greatest social jobs media in the world, is a fantastic like, age. Oh, I hate it. Dude, I was I was mad the other day, just like working at Guitar Center. Was like, I I swear, ninety percent of the customers who came in were just like these, just these cute couples running by, just like holding hands or arm in arm. Just like, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Just like walking by, I hate you, I hate you. I should hate just, you should ask her. Did you find her at the library? <laughs> Where are you finding these people? So that makes me sound a little desperate. I don't mean to sound that way, but it it can be depressing. I'm not desperate. I'm just, I'm just curious. Just. Just doing a research, that sort of thing. Taking a survey, so... Like, well, as the film says, I wish I had a million dollars, hot dog. Oh, yeah. That's what you should have said. <laughs> and you get one of those yeah. for guitar singers. Like, yep. Yeah. yeah so. Just pluck the string. Wish I had a million dollars. <laughs> like, yes! Anytime the string is in tune, that means that my wish will come true. So. Oh. Which is probably not going to be often. Most of those guitars We will right see. Anytime I wish the string was in tune. <laughs> ha, ha, see ha, no, no. Uh-huh. Anytime the string Pianist is in tune, true. my wish will come true. There we yeah. go. There's our... So. There's our jingle for the day. Don't go around stealing it, okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys if you're listening to this, and uh, have a very merry Christmas. So this has been David, Jerry, Adam, and we will see you later. <laughs>